Welcome to the Fresh Vending Podcast, where we discuss how smart vending machines are revolutionizing fresh food accessibility for both creators and consumers. Hey everyone, Isaac here. I'm Nathan. And today we're going to talk about the behind the scenes of smart vending. There's a lot of moving parts. Yeah, let's dive in a little bit and we can talk about um, some of the different things that impact smart vending, that, that drive those decisions, um, and you know, get a little deeper. So um, the origin of some of these technologies uh, started in other countries, mm -hmm. right? not the U.S. So I can think of like Japan, Hong Kong, or places that I know have had smart vending for a long time. Why did those places get it before the U.S.? It's kind of like fashion. Things start in Asia and then slowly make their way into the U.S. It's very, yeah, in, in many senses, you know, the U.S. sets trends. But this is definitely, to your point, one of, this, one of those instances where the U.S. was not only um, kind of lagging behind Asia, but also uh, other parts of the world. Because there's definitely pockets in, like, the more um, contemporary urban environments in in Europe and South America where you're where you will also see these pockets of um, smart bending and it's not just food it's you know everything under the sun so if you wanted to get uh, you know a pair of uh, tube socks and a slice of pizza and you know some uh, you know shampoo in, in the middle of the night you can do that um, and and it's really about I guess it's really about adoption right like consumers dictate why there is or isn't um you know a certain uh, trend is adopted well i mean let me ask you you're somebody with a neuroscience background like <laughs> what when you look at it through that lens what what comes to mind and why the u.s has been lagging in adoption yeah that's a good question i think a lot of our behavior is dictated by genes and a lot of our genes are dictated by the generations before and so what was the u.s founded on it was founded on breaking away we're our own, you know, country. We don't need uh, anyone else. We don't need to answer to anyone else, mm -hmm. right? And so that, from the founding fathers, gets passed down. I believe neurologically to where, you know, maybe U.S. consumers are a little bit more mm, confident in their ways, right? <laughs> to to mm -hmm. put it uh, nicely, I guess. Yeah, confident, stubborn, uh, very, uh, very. We we all you know strong point of view for sure. Very yeah. independent. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. whereas, totally. whereas Asia, you know, it's more collective kind of mindset. Um, yeah, I mean, you see this in companies as well, yeah, between a U.S. company and an Asian company, for example. So I think culture and how, how a, a country was founded uh, affects consumer behavior. Down the yeah, line. Th that's interesting. That really, um, that really hits home. And when I also think about times that I've traveled to Asia, the food sensibilities as well are very different. So when you look at how the U.S. very much involved with industrialization and the question was, how do I take this food and make it last longer? Right. So, I mean, for many, many decades, the, the question has been um, m making the food last longer, get more out of it, make it more convenient. And I think that's driven. Um, us in a direction that uh, you know you don't think of getting fresh vending or fresh food from a vending machine. Whereas when I visited Asia, there's always you know these markets where it seems like it's you know very common to me in my perception that people are purchasing fresh ingredients almost on a daily basis. 
Um, and I think that that's in my mind is definitely in contrast to most of the households that I know in the United States, you maybe go grocery shopping once or twice a week and it's all and you have a, you know, a pantry full of, you know, lots of shelf stable options, your freezers full of food. Um, and not to say that it doesn't happen in Asia, but I think it's just a more um, pronounced practice in the U.S. Yeah. Going to the market every day with my grandma and Hong Kong, for example, it's like you don't eat produce that you bought yesterday. You eat produce that you bought this morning. <laughs> well, same thing with like the fish too, right? Yeah. Like the, the protein. And I think it's um, th- those types of things too. I think when you're used to that going and buying, it's like it's ingrained in the culture. Um, whereas there's many um, instances, you know, in, in, in the United States where it's, it's easy to, you could live out of your freezer very easily. And there's a lot of people that do that just essentially live out of their freezer with what they eat, their, their pantry and their freezer. Yeah. It's also about trust too. I was reading, you know, one of the founding stories of one of these smart vending companies. And it's like, yeah, in Japan, people trust that kind of sushi grade quality. Mm-hmm. And so they're more willing to buy, you know, fresh food from a vending machine. Whereas in the U.S., it, like you said, it's about, you know, shelf stable, salty, sweet, and, mm-hmm. you know, keep it as long as possible, pump it out, calorie, um, calorie packed kind of thing. Um, so I think it's going to take a bit of uh, paradigm shifting. But um, I think fortunately, the technology has allowed these companies to introduce their technology into the U.S. market while garnering consumer trust in a way. Mm-hmm. Like we were talking about, for example, smart fridges, which isn't you know the only thing, but these smart fridges that allow a consumer to open the fridge and check it out, you know, check out the products like they would in a grocery store. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, of course, if you can look at it and see the color of the lettuce and tomatoes, you can say, oh, okay, this is something I'm willing to buy. And then, boom, you just bought fresh food from a vending machine. Yeah, I know for myself, like if I was going to buy, I would be much more um, inclined to buy. Like there's another uh, smart vending company. There's a handful of them, but one that comes to mind that does um, pastries. And you go up to it and you can instantly get a hot pastry out of it. It's it's high quality. It's pre-baked and it's kind of just like held warm like in there. Um, and I wouldn't think twice about buying that. Like I know, you know, I used to be a pastry chef once upon a time. Like I know that you can put out high quality product like that. And I wouldn't have any food safety issues, even if I was buying like, you know, something that had ham in it or whatever it may be. Mm. Um, on the pizza side, uh, you know, that's more of like a artisanal quality thing. I might think twice, but if I was really hungry, I'd be okay with buying it. Whereas when it, I would definitely be more sensitive to something that's not cooked, that has, you know, that's, that's raw, like a salad or, or something along those lines and, and really wanting to, um, have that hands-on experience to kind of inspect it. Um, but it's interesting. I think also the pandemic has really stirred the pot and how people look at things, how they think about things. And, um, we're definitely in the early stages of Americans, um, starting to adopt the concept of I can buy a fresh high quality meal and there's no person involved in the transaction. And, um, Sometimes it's also faceless, right? It's one thing to go if you're, you know, local cafe that you know and trust the owners and you, you, you know their products to buy it from them and you have that trust in the relationship. But it's a totally different thing if you're going to a vending machine and buying some anonymous, you know, sliced bread sandwich that looks like it comes from a convenience store. Um, you know, you kind of 
scratch your head and, and, and question your, your decision. And, and sometimes you're, you're forced to eat it because that's all you have. Yeah. And, and that's why I think a lot of these smart vending companies quite tactfully step out of the way and, and allow the operator brand to shine because that, that does create that trust there. Um, okay. So now we've talked about kind of the origin story of smart vending and how it has gotten to the US and how it's going to be uh, a big player. Now, other kind of behind the scenes of smart vending topics would be costs. Like, I mean, it depends on the application, right? Whether it's a robotics solution or a smart fridge, but what kind of costs are involved uh, in opening and, and launching one of these things? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. And, and there's a big variables. We had, we had spoken in an earlier um, podcast about some of them require substantial kind of infrastructure, whether they need uh, Ethernet or a, a floor drain or they need, you know, water going in. They need enhanced um, power, like a 220 outlet. Yeah. Um, you know, those types of things that takes time and money to make that happen. Uh, others are really simple and plug and play. You know, they're on wheels and you plug it into a standard outlet and you're good to go. So um, that's probably the first consideration because that's not just. There's not just money attached to that. There's also a lot of time usually attached to getting those build outs done. Um, and it limits the, the types of spaces that you can go into. I think the, uh, the second consideration is the hardware, which is pretty obvious. Yeah. Um, the third consideration are what I like to think of as like the indirect costs. And when we talked about whole product before of how the company can design, not just the product itself, but all those accessories, whether it's physically, you know, tools that you need to operate the machine and, and, and informing up front on those costs and how long it you know takes to learn how to use all that. It could be um, learning resources. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be partner companies that you need to source, you know, um, things that are consumables that, that bringing all that together in the company that you choose to work with and ensuring that they explain that all to you up front. So you go into your smart vending um, equipment purchase with eyes wide open on what are all those uh, costs that are going to be associated. So for example, most smart vending machines, well, they need to be connected to the internet. Is there always great Wi-Fi everywhere? Not really. Um, Is there an ethernet plug everywhere? Rarely. Mm. So often there'll be some sort of cellular charge because you have to remotely look at your dashboard, right? So you always know you know, what am I selling? What are my inventories? What's going on with my fridge? Uh, so those are some considerations of you need to have the software. You need to have connectivity to the machine. Um, quite often, you know, there's there's the the content, right? The food that you're putting in. If it's, uh, you know, looking at and really understanding your numbers around not only how much does the coffee, you know, cost me per cup, the unit cost, but how much does that, you know, coffee vending robot, like what is the waste factor? Yeah. And what is the cleaning factor with those coffee grounds? Um, so you're getting granular on your costs um, across the board with those types of things. Uh, when the when it breaks down, is this something that a standard repair person can just come on site? My repair guy that does all my other fridges or all my Doesn't other... Doesn't sound like it. it. No, it's not. Like yeah. often, especially when you get into the robotic side, I mean, these are highly specialized, um, you know, units. So you need to think about is the inventory of these parts in the U.S.? Can it be overnighted? How many days am I going to be down if there's a breakdown? 
and and ask for concrete evidence about that from the smart vending platform of do you have guarantees of how long it's going to take you to get me back up and running because again that's an indirect cost inevitably these are machines they're going to break down and some of them are complex and a lot of these platforms haven't been around that long if i look at the top um 25 platforms for smart vending in the u.s how many of them were here four or five years ago <laughs> not many yeah so um a lot of times you want to you want to dig deep on how they're going to take care of you and your business over time beyond whole product in the way that they communicate the indirect costs and the potential pitfalls yeah and i mean one that i just thought of is delivery you know you're, you're gonna have to presumably get some sort of refrigerated uh vehicle or maybe it's a cooler or something and drive a car to your fridge and stock it right and that doesn't have to be an extra employee i think we've talked earlier about how you don't have to hire extra labor because under the same roof you know your business isn't that crazy at 3 p.m so maybe you can stock your fridge then and use your existing layer and increase the same store sales um, but that still is a consideration if you're not already doing deliveries sending someone out to stock your fridge could be a significant uh, cost there so Absolutely. I mean, sometimes operators will say, I have this amazing location. That's great. And they explain it and it sounds really good. And then you find out that it's 15 miles away from their kitchen. And you're like, you know, last I checked at the gas pumps and last I checked at the, you know, the labor, um, that could be incredibly expensive. And if it's one thing, if you have a restaurant, but if, and you have a pre-existing kitchen that you can do all the production out of, that's fantastic. Um, but if you don't already have that delivery vehicle, um, you know, the insurance, I mean, it just, it, it, it adds up. So it's, it's, it's like we were, you know, kind of preaching to the choir before about homework, understanding, but again, the one thing you can control yourself, but it's going to be a telltale sign that you're working with a high quality partner, whoever you buy your smart vending equipment from that they're proactively feeding you all this information. They're readily available. They're happy to be transparent. And as much as possible, they can give you a referral of somebody that you can talk to that can speak to the data and not just kind of telling stories about, you know, how all this works. So, you know, all these costs are associated with one fridge, right? And so someone might think, okay, if my costs are this much for one fridge, maybe I should have many so mm -hmm. I can have some economies of scale and, you know, my delivery driver can hit two fridges on one route. So... Um, what would we tell someone who's considering getting one for a certain purpose versus getting a whole fleet of uh, either robotic solution or, or a smart fridge or whatever smart vending solution they go with? Totally. So um, usually the the ideal smart vending love story starts with, um, you know, typically somebody has a kitchen and they can kind of see the opportunity for incremental, um, you know, uh, revenue. And it just makes a lot of sense. You know, they're already making these salads. They can box them, take them over. Uh, ideally, it's in close proximity to their kitchen. And they hit a home run with their first smart vending um, machine. And that's great, right? Um, really nice, really nice experience. Then what you're talking about comes into play. And they really have to ask themselves, was this about, you know, was this equal parts? I want to make a little money. I want to have a little more brand exposure. Um you know, and, and, you know, get, get out there just a little bit and kind of dip my toe in the pool. 
When you start looking at scaling, um, yes, a fleet is going to give you the economy of scale. You can make more money. You're going to get more efficient. And unlike opening restaurants, this model of smart vending is it's just easier to replicate faster and more consistently. It just doesn't have the complexity of opening up, you know, new restaurant locations, uh, which is great. Um, but at the same time, are the locations that you're going into that you had that first home run with, are those easily replicatable mm -hmm. um, in terms of how far away is it? Um, what is the demographic of the building? Are you going to be able to be successful with that same exact menu mix in the new building? So that is something that's um, really indicative of, you know, the, the thought process that you want to have looking at growing. Now, one thing that I can say is that if the local university is two blocks away and you have one smart vending unit and it's doing really well, well, most universities, you could probably put three or four units and it's kind of, you know, it's built in. It's the same community. The logistics are essentially the same. That's great. Mm -hmm. If you live near a large hospital and you're already there, that's great. Those are, um, that makes it really easy if your first launch is in an environment that's, um, you can duplicate the success very easily. Yeah, that's an interesting concept. And now I'm, you know, as we speak about this, the dashboard and the data really start becoming super important, right? Like big time. Uh, I'm going to put a fridge in, in Mall A in this city, and then I'm mm -hmm. going to put a fridge in Mall B, and they're five miles apart. Are they going to cannibalize each other, or are they going to be just as successful and grow together? Who knows? Let's mm -hmm. give it a shot and try it out. Whereas maybe within a university campus, the effect of two fridges does cannibalize each other. And you need to, you know, maybe put one on the far side of campus instead of in the building over. So all of this should be data driven. And, and hopefully the smart vending companies that our listeners work with mm -hmm. are always pointing them to the data and saying, you know, what's best for your business? What has been shown from your sales? Absolutely. I mean, I think the combination of learning that, you know, the west side of campus, that smoothie machine, the number one selling uh, smoothie is mango. And on the other side is lychee. Um, you can't deny that, right? It's going to be, it's going to be what it's going to be. So, um, the data is amazing in that regard. And then the other one is, um, you know, when you want to learn about trends, go and spend time there because anybody you talk to, they're going to be happy to talk to you. If you can say, wait, 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 you're going to make it more convenient for me to get this thing. I really like, just ask them what they really like. Mm -hmm. What, and, and we said this before, what, what food item would we need to have in this smart vending unit what flavor of coffee what flavor of smoothie what flavor of salad dressing would you need to have in this unit for you to come whether it's you know once a week for an entree or on a daily basis if it's more of like a snack type thing they're going to answer you because you're making their life easier yeah and now we're talking about within the same fridge what are we going to offer right, right. like mm -hmm. or what our audience uh, what are the, what is the operator going to offer? It's, it's all, it's all data. And, and now I'm seeing all these neuroscience experience <laughs> in my mind, experiments in my mind. Are the, the business students more into lychee or the art students more into mango? Who knows why? And you know, why am I not? Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's, you know, it's like, it's like anything else we do in life, put in the time, do the homework, put in the energy, go in with eyes wide open, follow your gut. The company, you know, the company is going to, the company that you want to work with for smart vending is going to show you up front who they are and what type of partner they're going to be uh, long term. So, you know, watch for those signals 
and you know you can step into something and it, it can be really amazing um it's all about you know time energy and effort yeah and thankfully you know smart vending machines are not rooted into the ground with a 20-year lease right so you can always pivot <laughs> that's that's the beauty even if you're you know there's there's been uh, plenty of people throughout history that did uh did tons and tons of homework and it didn't work out for whatever reason but um unlike uh all the other examples we shared you've completely mitigated your risk um when you can when you can pull out and set up shop with that same unit somewhere else yeah so this has uh, been a great discussion about kind of the underbelly of smart vending and what people can look out for and, and consider before jumping in. Uh, anything else we want to talk about? No, I think that's a good, uh, a good wrap up. Uh, happy eating, happy cooking, and we will see you on the next episode. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to the show this week. If you're interested in learning more about smart vending platforms, you can visit us at launchfoodspot.com. I'm Nathan Downs, and you've been listening to the Fresh Vending Podcast. 